It has been great to be here with you all this morning and just a delight to have time to fellowship with, uh, with your pastor and, and Miss Charity and the kids. And yeah, I think, I think they started to feed off each other at one point last night and we had to shut it down so, uh, before it just problems, uh, damages happened to the building or something. But uh, Well, let me invite you to turn with me uh, to the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament, the minor prophet book of Habakkuk is where we'll be. Habakkuk chapter 3, and uh, there is no shame in having to use the table of contents to find the book of Habakkuk this morning, but if, it's, it's, if you go to the beginning of the New Testament and go back a few books, you'll find Habakkuk. And here we, here we are, Habakkuk chapter 3, Habakkuk chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 15 this morning, and then tonight, Lord willing, we'll look at verses 16 through 19. And just by way of introduction, you'll see when you open up Habakkuk 3, it says it is a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigianoth. And that word, Shigianoth, was to give direction for the hymn tune, uh, for the musical instruments that would accompany the singing of, the so- of this psalm. In other words, it, it would say, says something about the the tempo, the type of music that would, was to go along with. But this, this last chapter of Habakkuk is a psalm. It's a song to be sung, a song of praise to God. Uh, but if we, would be, uh, we would be missing it if we thought the entire book of Habakkuk was all a song. It does not start with a song. In fact, it starts with very painful questions. Habakkuk is searching, and he is, he is asking deep, heavy questions toward the Lord. He's lamenting to God. Uh, just by way of review, just to, to set up chapter 3, when we, come, when we open up the book of Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 1, it starts off right off the bat, Habakkuk 1 verse 2. Habakkuk says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you do not hear? Or cry violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? And Habakkuk is looking at the, the, the world around him in Israel. He has seen rampant wickedness, uh, a, a complete turning away by most of Israel from God's word. He's seen injustices being committed by the people of God against others. He's seen idol worship. And this prophet who has been true to the Lord, who is a part of God's remnant, looks, looks on Israel, and, and he says, God, are you seeing this? How, how long shall I cry for you to do something? You don't do something. And I wonder, if you, have you gotten to a place in your life at times where you have cried a similar prayer to God? How long, Lord, until you do something about what's happening in my life? How long? Why are you not doing something yet? That's where Habakkuk was. And then God answers Habakkuk in chapter 1. And Habakkuk sa- God says to Habakkuk, he says, I'm doing something already. And he says, I'm doing something that you would not believe if I told you. He says, I'm actually raising up the Chaldeans who are going to come and to judge Israel that they will turn back from their wickedness. Well, when Habakkuk hears this, uh, he, he, he is troubled still yet, because the Chaldeans are a more wicked people than what Israel was. 
that he looks on that and he hears or he hears this from God. And Habakkuk just said, he, he says, how can, how can God use, how can you use a more wicked people than Israel to judge us as, a, as an instrument for bringing your people back? And after Habakkuk finishes his questions, in the beginning of chapter 2, he says, I'm going to stand and wait. I'm going to wait for the Lord's answer. And then the Lord answers him in, in chapter 2. And he tells Habakkuk, he, he says, he says, wait for it. The answer is coming. It will not delay. Though it seems like it's late, it is not. And in verse 4, he tells him this, this just pivotal truth in Scripture. Verse 4, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk, God calls Habakkuk to live by faith. He's going to have to live by faith and wait on God to do what he promises to do. And so God then shares with Habakkuk how he is going to deal not only with Israel, but he's going to deal with the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans are going to be held accountable for their actions. Although they are a tool in the hands of a sovereign God, they will not be held guiltless. They will be held responsible for their wickedness that they are doing. And in chapter 2, there's this taunt song. And in the middle of this taunt song in chapter 2, there's this beautiful promise to Habakkuk from the Lord, verse 14 of chapter 2, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now that is a promise that we still await to come in fulfillment. We wait to see that day when the Lord returns and the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover this world among all people uh, as the waters cover the sea. And so when God ends his answer this second time to Habakkuk, now Habakkuk responds in song. No longer is he asking questions, now he just praises. And what we see in the book of Habakkuk is a prophet, this, we see one with our very eyes, we see him move from deep, painful questions to even deeper joy and praise. And so when we, if you'll read with me, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from His hand, and there He veiled His power. Before Him went pestilence, and plague followed at His heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and took the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the earth from your bow. You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. Selah. You split the earth with rivers. 
The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck, Selah. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Father, as we come to your word, we ask for your help. And we pray as we have sung in song that you'd plant your truth deep in us, you'd shape and fashion us in your likeness. That's what we desire. Uh, Lord, I pray for uh, your people this morning. I pray that there may be some in here that are staggering uh, with trials and troubles. Uh, Lord, as they are maybe finding it difficult to put one step in front of the other, I pray that they would find firm footing in this text uh, on which to plant their feet. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would guide us and uh, make, us, make of us what you will with your word. I pray for your help and pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at this prayer psalm of Habakkuk's this morning in two parts. First, we're going to see how Habakkuk responds to God in prayer, and then we'll see how Habakkuk remembers God's mighty works. He responds to God in prayer, and then he remembers God's mighty works. So first of all, Habakkuk responds to God in prayer. Look again at verse 2 with me. Here we see in this prayer of Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's prayer is marked by humility, it is marked by adoration or praise, and it is marked by a petition. Habakkuk asks something of the Lord specifically. First, he says, O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you. We see his humility. His attention is turned toward God. His thoughts are turned toward God and not on himself. And your work, he says, O oh Lord, do I fear? There's the adoration. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. There's his petition. Notice with me the humility of Habakkuk's prayer. As we saw in chapter 1, as Habakkuk starts, he says, How long, O Lord, until you do something? Then he prays, Why are you, so, why are you silent? Why are you idly looking at the things going on around me? But in chapter 3, Habakkuk comes humbly before God, and he no longer questions the Lord. He says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. Habakkuk says, I've heard of your deeds. Habakkuk's concern is no longer for his own work in Israel, or for his own name as a prophet. He has come to the place that you and I must come. His concern is for the glory of God. That God's name is at stake in all of these things. He prays, Lord, I've heard of your mighty works Oh friend, you and I cannot come to God in pride. We cannot. If you would come to Him in prayer truly, you must have a heart-level conviction that you are coming to the one 
who can do something about what you cannot do something about. That you're coming to the one who can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can even ask or think, Ephesians 3.20 tells us. You see, prideful prayers will be rare because a prideful heart rarely sees its need for prayer. It tends to think, I've got this. I've got all this under control. I don't need to take time to pray about it. Prideful prayers tend to make less of what God can do and more of what you can do. Prideful prayers tend to expect God to answer not because He is a merciful God who hears and answers the prayers of His people, but because one thinks that God owes it to them to answer their prayers. You're in church for year after year, decade after decade. Sometimes we can be tempted to think, I've served you, Lord. I've been faithful. Now, I deserve for you to answer my prayers in the way I think and the timing that I think. And that's, that's pride. Prideful prayers tend to be made so that one's own name and reputation will be maintained rather than God, that God's name would be magnified. Oh, when we pray, we ought to be praying, God, make yourself a name in this situation. Glorify yourself in this. Not that you just make it better for me, not that, that my name would not be hurt, but that your name would be made great. You see, a prideful prayer won't get past the ceiling of the room. Psalm 51, verse 17 says, A broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Habakkuk's prayer is marked by humility. It's his, his prayer is also marked by adoration. Look what he says, Lord, I've heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. Habakkuk prays in the fear of God. This, this is how we should approach the Lord in prayer. We, we come to him with a right vision of who he is and of who we are. We, we come to Him and pray with reverence, with the fear of God. And this is not speaking like a, a, a terror of a, of a, of a make-believe boogeyman out there, but of a reverence for God, a, 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 an adoration of Him, a, a recognition of He is so far above me, He is so great, and, and I am small. And seeing that, we come to Him in prayer. Hebrews 12.28, the author of Hebrews says it this way, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Do you believe that this morning, friend? Our God is a consuming fire. We come to Him in fear and praise, recognition of who He is and who we are. This is how Habakkuk comes to the Lord. Then, then Habakkuk makes his petitions. Now, this is not, not how often, how I often pray. A little bit of confession here this morning. And if maybe if you're honest, this is not the way you often may pray. I don't know you all. And, uh, but what we often tend to do is we skip the adoration part. We skip the recognition of who we're coming to part. We, we skip the humility part and we jump right to the petition. Lord, I need this and this today, and this person needs this today. Thank you. Talk to you later. That's often how our prayers are, are handled. And, and if we were to come home, gentlemen in here this morning, brothers, if we were to come home from work in the evening and to see our, our wives 
and we just came home and said, uh, baby, I need you to do this, this, and this. All right, talk to you later. Right out back out the door. That's not going to go well, is it? But often in our prayers, we treat the Lord in the same way. Lord, here's my petitions. Here's what I have to ask of you today. Uh, do this, and, and then no time for meditating on the Lord, no time for thinking of who we are approaching and, and spending time with the Lord in, in adoration and praise to Him and thanksgiving to Him for all that He's done. But look what Habakkuk asked for. He asked the Lord two things. Number one, to revive His work and to remember mercy. What, is, what does he mean, revive your work in the midst of the years? What is the Lord's work that he's talking about? about? Habakkuk knows the Lord's mighty works of old. He knows what God has done for his people throughout the years. How he chose a people for his name. How he redeemed them out of Egyptian bondage. How he led them into the promised land through the wilderness. And he knows that the God who really acted in the past, who did these things, is well able to do something today. And so he prays, revive your work, Lord. And he prays for the Lord to make his work known in these years, in the time Habakkuk is alive. That's his prayer. Habakkuk petitions the Lord to revive his work, and he petitions the Lord to remember mercy. In the middle of carrying out his wrath, Habakkuk recognizes that God is going to carry out His just wrath on the Chaldeans and on Israel for their turning away from Him. But he prays that in the middle of that, he would remember mercy, that he would show mercy. He doesn't pray simply for the Lord to make things better. He calls upon the Lord to be merciful. See, Habakkuk knows that the Lord is merciful. Praise God, there is more mercy in God than there is sin in us. Amen? Uh, Psalm 103, verse 8 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. His mercy is central to His character. He is a holy God, yes. He is an unchanging God, certainly. He is a just God who leaves no sin unpunished. But praise God, He is also a merciful God. He is a God who is slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And so Habakkuk is pleading for God to act according to his character. In wrath, remember your mercy, God. He knows that Israel and Judah are not worthy of God's mercy. They are only worthy of his destruction. And so Habakkuk is praying for God to show mercy, even as he's carrying out judgment on Israel and Judah. Habakkuk responds to God in prayer as he considers his mighty works of old. He asks God to revive his work, and he asks God to remember mercy. And then, now, so first we've seen him respond to God in prayer, but secondly, lastly, we'll see how Habakkuk remembers God's mighty works. Look at verse 3 through 15 with me. Throughout these verses, as we've read earlier, Habakkuk poetically recalls God's mighty works in redeeming his people Israel. He, he, he recalls how God delivered them out of Egypt and led them through the Red Sea. Maybe you picked up on that while we read. Uh, this reminds me of the, the, God bringing the people through the Red Sea and destroying Pharaoh's army. Maybe there's other things you saw, but he, he remembers how God has saved his people by judging his enemies in the past. And 
verse 3, he says, God came from Timon and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. What's going on there? Habakkuk recalls how God came to his people Israel to bring them from the south, from Timon, and through Mount Paran. This is the route he brought them out of Egypt and to Mount Sinai and into the land of Canaan. He continues in verse 3, His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Habakkuk knows that the God who is merciful to redeem his people out of Egypt is the creator of all things, the one true God. It, it is, he is the one to whom all things belong, and, it, and that all things declare his glory. If you're, if you're like me, maybe you've been following in this last month, seeing some of the images that have been released by NASA from the James Webb Telescope. They've just been remarkable, beautiful. It is this telescope, which I think what I heard is worth over a billion dollars. I think the original budget was like $500 million. They went way over it in building the telescope. But it, it can capture images of stars and galaxies as far as 13.6 billion light years away. Much, these are stars that no human eye has seen to this point. And much has been said, though, about the accomplishment of the men and women who built the telescope and, and took the pictures, and, and, and it really is an amazing feat of what they, the engineers designed and made that could do this. But when you think about it, from a Christian worldview, when we think about that, that's like building a house next to the Grand Canyon and framing out a window that you could look out over the Grand Canyon and then turning and going, you know, that's a really nice window, isn't it? Yeah, this is an amazing window. And, a, and missing completely the glory that's in front of you. You see, those stars that no eye has ever seen have existed for the glory of God. They have existed to, for, for God's enjoyment. Somebody asked, why would God make something that the human eye could not see? He makes it like he makes everything else for his own glory and for his own enjoyment as the creator God of all things. And now we get to see a glimpse of it. You see, Habakkuk recognizes this in Habakkuk 3. He says, His splendor covered the heavens. The earth was full of his praise. He goes on in verse 4, His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Habakkuk recalls how the God who dwells in unapproachable light appeared to Moses and how the Lord put Moses in the cleft of a rock and caused his radiant glory to pass by. Verse 5, plague goes before him, pestilence follows in his steps. He recalls how the Lord came to his people and delivered them from Egypt, how the Lord brought plagues on Egypt to save his people out of bondage under Pharaoh. <clears throat> what we see in these verses is a pattern we see the, the, the pattern in verses 12 through 13. Look at this again. It says, You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. And I, I think even there, and I may be wrong, but I think even there is a reference that goes way back into the curse in Genesis 3 of the snake crusher who was to come the seed born of, a, born of a woman who would come and crush the serpent's head, speaking of Christ. But it also is referencing back, back to how God delivered his people out of Egypt and how he crushed their enemies. 
And the pattern that we're seeing here is that God saves his people through judgment upon their enemies. He saves his people through judgment on their enemies. He brings judgment upon his enemies, and through this judgment of his enemies, he saves his people, Israel. It is salvation through judgment. That's the pattern throughout this prayer song. And what we need to take a pause a minute and remember is these are not fairy tales that have been passed down. God has entered into space and time and has really worked and has moved and done these things. Habakkuk knows this, and he prays that as God has worked in the past, that he would, in his wrath, as he judges his people and uses the wicked Chaldeans to do it, that he would remember mercy. He prays that the Lord would once again deliver his people, and he has confidence that he will, based on what he has seen him do in the past. His confidence in the Lord is based on what God has promised and what God has done, his faithfulness throughout the past. That's where he plants his feet. You see, this is how we are to trust God today, brother and sister. We, we recall what God has done in the past, and we know he'll be faithful in the future. We can have confidence of that. The, the great Welsh preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones he said, he said, the only way to pass through a bog is to find solid places on which you can place your feet. Sometimes our family like to go what we call creek stomping, where you just, instead of hiking a trail, you put on an old pair of sneakers and you, you hike a creek, up and down the creek, and it's a lot of fun. But when you're doing that, you have to constantly be watching where you're stepping, where you're stepping next, and, and is, this, is this rock going to be slippery? Is this, a, is this a firm place to put my foot here? And see, this is how we trust the Lord today. This is how we live by faith, as he has called us to in the book of Habakkuk. We remember what he has done, and we remember his promises that can never fail, and that is the sure footing that we need. That's the, that's the, those are the places where we plant our feet when we don't know where to place our feet. When the ground underneath us seems shaky, we plant our feet on the promises of God and on his character of who he is and what he's done in the past and knowing he's, we have confidence in him for the future. And the, the truth of the matter is, friends, we have even greater evidence of God's mighty works on which to place our spiritual feet than even our prophet Habakkuk had. Think about what Habakkuk did not live to see that we know that God has done. Verse 13, he, he, in passing, I believe, references this snake crusher to come. You crush the head of the house of the wicked. In, in Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Why, why did Paul in Galatians need to say that he was born of a woman, like we all are? It's a reference back to Genesis 3 of the, the seed of the woman who was promised to come, who would crush the serpent's head. Jesus is that snake crusher. God has come, the Lord Jesus Christ, to save his people through judgment. You and I, because of our sin, stand guilty before a holy God. We deserve only his judgment and to be separated from him forever in hell. 
Sin is too powerful for us. Satan is too great of an enemy. The great deceiver holds us under his lies and his deception. Death is inescapable, but God is mighty to save. The good news of the gospel, friends, is that the Lord Jesus has really come, has come into space and time, God become man to save his people. We can say like Habakkuk, O Lord, I've heard the report of you. In your work, O Lord, do I fear. When we think back on the gospel truths we hold dear. You see, at the cross, dear friends, is where we see the awesome wrath of God and the unfathomable mercy of God meet. The Lord Jesus has gone to the cruel cross and died in the place of his enemies. He's taken the judgment for his enemies and has brought salvation for all those who will turn to him in faith. He's taken the due penalties for our sins. He has borne the shame of our sins. Justice for our sins has been satisfied for us in him on the cross. He has shed his blood to wash away our sins. 1 Peter 2.24, Peter says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And he was buried, and he rose again victorious over the grave. And in his resurrection, he finally and completely crushed his enemies. He crushed our enemies. And he has given the devil a mortal wound that he's not going to recover from. He has defeated death, hell, and the grave. But not only has he defeated our greatest enemies, he he also saves, he makes holy, he provides forgiveness for his enemies. In our sin, we are enemies of God. Romans 8 verse 7 says that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. God has extended his mercy to those who are going against him in their sin. And this is our great warrior Savior Christ. And if you, friend, if you're here today and you do not know Christ as your Savior, you've not yet come to trust in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and to be your Savior, then if you will simply come to the end of your rope by God's grace and will see your need for God's mercy and will call out to him to save you, the promise of the gospel is that he will. He will save you. You who were once by nature an enemy of God, deserving of his wrath, he will, he will save you. That wrath you'll see to be taken upon Christ on the cross in your place. He won't turn you away. And he stands now with outstretched arms and he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So look to him now in faith. Look to him now in faith. Look to Christ believing that he is who he said he is, that he will do what he said he will do. Turn from your sin and by faith receive Christ today. Receive Christ. And come to know for yourself what Habakkuk knew in part, that the mercy of God, that the mercy of God that comes through Jesus Christ, that you would know that for yourself, dear friend. And dear saints, you who have taken refuge in God's Son, who have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, this gospel is our firm footing as we make our way through the bog of life. It is our firm footing. This is your surety. The all-sufficient, perfect, and powerful saving work of Jesus Christ for you and for me. 
a great book. I highly recommend it by Milton Vincent, a gospel primer, and it, he, where he just really fleshes out this thought. Uh, it, it just so good for the soul. But he says this, The gospel is the one great permanent circumstance in which I live and move, and every hardship in my life is allowed by God only because it serves His gospel purposes in me. The gospel is our firm footing. That's where we see our God, His saving work toward us in His Son, the Lord Jesus. Through every sorrow and trial in, in the gospel, you and I can say with an even greater assurance than Habakkuk, I've heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear. What we have a God who has kept his promises in, in sending, in, in, in the, in he has fulfilled all of his Old Testament promises in his first coming through his son. We can trust him for all that is to come in his second coming, and we can trust him for everything in between. He has given us his great and precious promises, and he has given us the glorious gospel of the grace of God in Christ. That is not just, it's not just the message for the beginning of the Christian life. It is the message for living the Christian life as well. So often, the gospel is just relegated to that front door message for how you become a Christian, but then we leave it behind and go on our way. And we're all tempted to do that daily. But the gospel is, our, is the message for us Christians, those who know the Lord Jesus, for day by day, every day, which are preached to ourselves, the gospel. Paul tells the Colossian believers in Colossians chapter 1, he says in verse 21, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Paul is calling those Colossian believers to recall the gospel to themselves, to preach the gospel to themselves daily, to not move away from their hope in the gospel. We ought to preach the gospel to ourselves daily, remind ourselves daily of what Christ has done for us and who we are in Him, that we are forgiven, we are washed by the blood of Christ, that we are guiltless in Him because of His substitutionary death is satisfactory death for us in our place on the cross. We've been justified. We've been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We've been adopted. We've been made joint heirs with Christ. Tim Keller has wisely said that the, the gospel tells you that you are more sinful than you ever thought you were, and you are more loved than you ever dreamed you could be. That's what the gospel reminds us of daily. And that's why we sing, don't we? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On When, when all around my soul gives way, he then all my hope and stay, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. And so, brother and sister, look to him afresh today. Lean on him. 
He is your righteousness and salvation. He went out for the salvation of his people. And stand in awe of him. Seek him today. Go to him. Remember what mighty works he has done. And call on him that he might revive his work in these years. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, we have heard the report about you. And Lord, we stand in awe of your deeds. You dwell in unapproachable light. You are holy, holy, holy. Your splendor covers the heavens. The earth is full of your praise. You've come out to save your people. And through taking the judgment of sinners upon yourself, Lord Jesus, you save all of those who will look to you by faith. Help us today to look to you again in faith. You are our rock, our sure foundation. As we walk through the bog of life, you are the you are our sure footing. You have proven yourself throughout the centuries to your people. Your promises are sure. Help us to rest in you. Lord, in, in wrath, remember mercy. Revive your work. Revive your church. Revive us that we might desire you as we should. That we might despise our sin. That we might go to the lost with fresh confidence and tell them about you. In Christ Jesus' name, we ask all these things. Amen.